This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. And because we were held captive, Satan says, I have your creation. I can just imagine the delight and the glee that went through Satan there in the garden as Eve first fell and then Adam. I've destroyed it all. I've ruined it all. Now I've taken them captive. God, who created them, says, Oh no, I have a plan. I have a plan even before creation. As Pastor David continues his teaching on being freely justified, he will be teaching us more in-depth definitions that coincide with the term justification. Terms such as propitiation, a term used to describe the sacrifice of the Passover lamb that was brought to the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. When Christ, the Lamb of God, made propitiation for our sin, He became that atoning sacrifice for us once and for all. And our response to this free gift is to become a living sacrifice for Him. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 21, for the conclusion of our message entitled, Justified Freely. Some of the great and really meaningful phrases that we find in there are some of those things that we took out earlier, apart from the law. His righteousness is revealed, and it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even that very righteousness of God, and then down at the end, for there is no difference. Now, these are powerful, powerful words that you and I need to understand, not only in our lives as believers, but if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to understand this, too. And when we look at that first one, it says, apart from the law. How quick we are to think, oh, I know exactly what that means, but what does it mean? It's not the word of Moses. It's not the Ten Commandments. Actually, it's what he's speaking in the context here is the works of the flesh. And I'm not talking about the bad works of the flesh, the evil things, the sin. What I'm talking about is those works of the flesh that, again, we can look at and say, well, this is a good thing. This is a ceremony. This is a ritual. This is a tradition. These are the things that religious people do all the time. And he's saying, no. It's apart from the law. It's apart from these works of flesh that God is revealing himself to us. And he says it's being witnessed. And what do we mean by his being witnessed? Well, a witness comes from a Greek word that went to a Latin word that then came to our English word that we get the word martyr out of. And so when we think of martyrs, we think of those Christians who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel. But the word has much deeper meaning than that. It goes to a judicial meaning. It has the idea of being an official record, a report, or a testimony. So when it says that his righteousness, the righteousness of God apart from the law, is being revealed, it's being witnessed. In other words, there is now a testimony, an official you might say, a court transcript that it really has happened. It's being witnessed within the court. The truth is supposedly to be told continually. And this is what the declaration is. Well, how is it witnessed? It says that it's being witnessed. 
Even that word being has an essence because the word being, according to A.T. Robertson, has a meaning that it's continually doing it. It's made plain continuously by God himself. For those that care, it's a present passive participle. I didn't know that myself. I had to look that up. And you might think, well, so what? What difference does that mean? Well, really, it adds a lot to the meaning of the word. It just wasn't witnessed one time. But no, it's continually, ongoing, being witnessed. And so when we look at this, the righteousness of God being declared openly, being revealed openly, being witnessed, there is this testimony, there's report, and it's continually going on. Well, how is it witnessed? It's witnessed, first of all, he says, by the law. And we look at the law and you think, well, what exactly does he mean by the law? And we can look and we can say, well, that is for the Jew. The Jew understood what the law was. The law was the Pentateuch, those writings of Moses, those first five books of your Bible. And wherein is the righteousness of God being witnessed or revealed in the law? Well, we could go all the way back to the very beginning, can't we? We can go to Genesis. Then we can see the righteousness of God, even as he was having fellowship and relationship with Adam and Eve. And when they sinned, boom, that relationship had to be different now. Why? Because of the righteousness of God. Because the Word of God declares that within his presence no sin may abide. So something had to be done. We see the righteousness of God a couple of chapters later in the book of Genesis, where, again, God looked out and the intent of the man's heart was evil always. So God says, I'm going to make an end to them. It says that it really sorrowed God that he made man because of the wickedness. And so what did he do? Because of his righteousness, he had to do away with that sin. He saved that one man that he found is a righteous man, Noah, and his family. So there was a salvation in the midst of that. But the righteousness of God was being witnessed in that he destroyed the world. A little bit later in Genesis, we see the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, the angels coming to destroy those wicked cities. Again, the righteousness of God in over and over and over again, even as the nation of Israel, the Hebrew children, moved on into the promised land. He said, because of the wickedness of those people, I want you to utterly destroy them, to do away with them completely. As a matter of fact, if you'll follow me, I'll destroy them before you. Why? Because the righteousness of God saw the wickedness of them, and there had to be something done about it. Why? Because the righteousness of God demanded it. Where else is it being witnessed? It's being witnessed by the prophets. When we think of the prophets, we think, well, primarily the major and the minor prophets. And we could go through and name all those guys the backside of your Old Testament. But in reality, throughout all of the Old Testament, we see prophetic messages. They say that uh, well over 60% of your Old Testament is prophecy. You understand, you've got the prophets and their writings, but then you look in the Psalms, and there's a multitude of prophecies written in the Psalms. You look even in the, the history of the nation of Israel, as again, God's prophet came and spoke to Israel. A multitude of prophecy there. We even get into the Pentateuch, the earlier part, the prophetic message that God gave there. And they are continually talking about the righteousness of who God is. 
They are declaring it openly and widely. It's being revealed. It's being made manifest by the law and by the prophets. The declaration that they're making is the very righteousness of God that's being found through faith in Jesus Christ. As we look at those words, if they've been declaring all of these things about the righteousness of God, we find it in Jesus Christ. Well, how do the law and the prophets declare that? Well, there's a multitude of verses, but just a few for you this morning. We can see it declared all throughout Scripture. Psalm 65, 5 says, By awesome deeds of righteousness you will answer us, O God of what? Our salvation. Speaking that even that God is going to provide, even through His righteousness, He's going to provide salvation. Psalm 97, verse 1 and 2, he says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The very foundation of who God is, is righteousness and justice. And because there is righteousness, because there is justice, there has to be some kind of a payment for sin of man. Again, pointing toward Christ. Psalm 145.17 says, The Lord is righteous in all of His ways, and He's gracious in all of His works. Sometimes we look at that, he's, He's righteous over here, but He's also gracious, and somehow it all blends together, and praise God for you and I that it does. Because if He wasn't gracious, then all of His righteousness would be dumped upon us, and there's no way that we could survive. We read in Jeremiah 23, verse 5 through 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. Again, that branch of David that's coming, that king that's going to reign and prosper, speaking again of the reality of the coming of Jesus, that the righteousness of God is being revealed, and we find it through faith in Jesus Christ. And then the last portion of that verse where he says, For there is no difference. What does he speak about in no difference? Well, again, the context of all that he's saying. He speaks about the reality of the Jew and the Greek, or the Jew and the non-Jew, whatever way that you want to put it. Or you can put it this way, and I believe in the context of what he's saying, both in chapters 1 and chapter 2 and the first half of chapter 3, is even there is no difference between the religious and the pagan. You think, well, there's definitely got to be a difference between a religious person and a pagan, but really and truly not in God's eyes. Because a religious person, as we looked at, I believe it was last week, deals in his own self-righteousness. He deals in his own deeds and abilities. God says that there's no difference. Whether you're religious or whether you're a pagan, if you're out of faith in me, if you're not walking in faith in Jesus Christ, if you're separated from him. So because there is no difference We find in verse 23 that all 
have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And now this judicial decree comes upon us. Boom. Guilty. 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 All of mankind is guilty because there is no difference because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The religious one, the pagan, we all come at that flat and level ground. And God says, guilty. So now we've got this moral dilemma that stands before us. How do you uphold the law and yet offer forgiveness? Upholding the law that says you're guilty and yet give forgiveness. Well, that kind of outdoes the law. That does away with the law. If I were to stand before the judge and the judge says, you are guilty of embezzlement. You, you've been caught red-handed with your hand in the cookie jar. We have all of the proof, all of the evidence, the judicial decree, and the judgment against you is, you are guilty, but that's okay. We, we love you, and why don't you go have a great day? So what good is the law at that point? And you see, for many today, that's what they think. Well, God is a God of love. Surely he wouldn't send anyone to hell. God is a God of love. But, beloved, God is a God of righteousness and holiness. And he cannot do away with the law. The law is given, it's declared, and it remains. So if I have the law and the law shows me as guilty, then how in the world can I go free? Well, that's what the next verses speak to us. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's look at a couple of those words. To justify means to render or to show or regard as just or innocent. God justified us through Jesus Christ. I've been rendered innocent. Beloved, when we say that it's freely justified or justified freely, you and I need to understand what that's all about. Our salvation is without cost. And yet, it is so costly. For you and I, we receive it by faith. And we say, it didn't cost me anything. I came to Christ in faith and I received the fullness of redemption within my life. But don't misunderstand, it's a very, very costly redemption. Because God took upon himself human flesh and dwelt among man. He laid down, literally, his glory. The word says he did not despise these things, but he humbled himself and taking upon himself the form and the fashion of man, lowered himself even to the point of death, to the point of the cross. Your salvation, your redemption was very, very costly. And yet we read these words and it says that we are freely justified. Yeah. We were free, but it cost God tremendously. 
The next word that he uses there is that idea of redemption, the, the ransom paid in full. And it, it was a word that was used originally with the thought and the idea that either that of a prisoner, that there had, he had to pay his debt before he was released, or even someone who was taken and kidnapped and held for ransom, and we're familiar with those words. I'm going to take you away from where you should be, and I'm going to hold you until somebody pays me a ransom. And usually, I don't know about you, but usually the ransoms that I've always heard have been rather high. It's not like, okay, I'm going to take him, and you give me $5, and I'll give him back. Now, there's some people that you might want to pay somebody to take back from you. The reality is, is when you and I were taken in ransom, the cost was tremendous because you and I were taken captive by what? By sin. By our sin nature. We were held captive by the very enemies of our souls, by Satan himself. And because we were held captive... Satan says, I have your creation. I can just imagine the delight and the glee that went through Satan there in the garden as Eve first fell and then Adam. I've destroyed it all. I've ruined it all. Now I've taken them captive. And God, who created them, says, oh no, I have a plan. I have a plan even before creation that I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to pay the price that's due for them. And when we think of redemption, beloved, that's ours in Christ. This word that he uses in verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation. It's a great word. If you use it five times today, it'll be yours in conversation. You just got to throw that out there anytime. But in actuality, it's not an everyday word. It's not a common word. It's a word that has a distinct meaning. It means that atoning sacrifice. It's a word also that they gave to that mercy seat that covered the altar there in the Holy of Holies. It is the sacrifice of the one, the, the shedding of the blood of that Passover lamb that they would come and, and sprinkle over that mercy seat. All of that dealt with the propitiation. And that's exactly who Christ is for us, that atoning sacrifice. He was the one that with his own blood was able to enter into that holy of holies, not the physical one, but the spiritual one, and say, here is my blood, the price has been paid, the ransom is over, they can now go free, as many as accept the price of the ransom, the gift that's been given. He's offered that, and therefore he is that propitiation for us. And then there's one other word that I want you to look at, and it's also found there in verse 25. It speaks about forbearance, and it speaks about the forbearance of God. It speaks because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Forbearance has this idea of it, of self Restraint. Self-restraint. And this is a self-restraint that God has toward the wickedness of man. That God can at any moment, at any time, he could pull a Noah's flood again, you know. That's absolutely no problem for him. He did it once, he can do it again. 
But we know, according to God's word, he's not going to do a flood again, but he's going to bring total destruction, that this earth will pass away, literally by fire, by melting total destruction, this earth and the heavens that we see, all of those are going to be done. God could do that at any moment. There's not a problem there. God could take and wipe out any number of people. And aren't you glad that he has forbearance in your life? I am glad for mine. But because of his self-restraint, because he has a plan, he has a purpose, God, unlike humanity, has the patient endurance to work through that plan. Peter tells us, gives us that word that it's because of the long-suffering of God. That's a different idea. Long-suffering of God is, is that, you know what, I'm waiting and I'm anticipating those that are yet to come to me. The forbearance, it means, is that at any moment I could destroy you, but I will not, simply because I'm working through this plan. So you see, for God, there is no moral dilemma as a matter of fact, this whole story deals with God's moral integrity. God's moral integrity. He upholds the law and yet offers forgiveness through Christ. The law was not broken. The law was not changed. No. The wages of sin is death. That was not broken. Man is guilty. That was not broken. A payment had to be paid. That was not broken. What he says, I will offer forgiveness by sending Christ to you. Therefore, we receive justification. One of the things that we looked at, where we did not look at when we looked at that word justification or justified, there's a very simple meaning that simply what does the word justified mean? Some of you know it. Justified never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Well, the story goes is that a man from England who owned a Rolls Royce wanted to take his Rolls Royce from England over to Europe and tour Europe in his Rolls Royce. So he put it on a ferry between England and France, got it over and was touring in Europe. As he was going, he was having a great day, but or a great time, but one day, the Rolls Royce had some mechanical problems, and he wasn't really sure what to do. So he called back to the factory where he got the Rolls Royce there in England. He says, I'm having some mechanical problems. I don't know what to do. Well, the Rolls Royce company actually flew someone from England over to France where he was, a mechanic, he worked on the vehicle, got it running perfectly, got back in the plane, flew back to England. Well, at this point in time, the guy's worried. Now he's in Europe cruising around, and he doesn't know what in the world that's going to cost him by the time he gets back to England to have a mechanic fly all the way from England to Europe, fix the car, and fly back again. So he calls back to the factory and says, hey, I'm the guy that you had the mechanic come over and fix, and I'm just kind of curious. What is that going to cost me? And the word from the factory was, I'm sorry, sir, but we have absolutely no record of any mechanical problems with any Rolls Royces. <laughs> For those who are covered under the blood of Christ, 
when we stand before our God. He'll look at us through the blood of Christ and say, you know what? I have no record of any sin in your life because we have been freely justified. He's taken our sin as far as the east is from the west. The word also says he's saying he's cast it behind his back. The word also declares that he's taken our sin and he's cast it into the deepest of oceans so that we can stand before him freely justified. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from Pastor David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you.